Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Friday Can't Come Fast Enough, y'all. Edition as we get you set for Friday's preseason opener against the Arizona Cardinals with three guests, NFL writer and podcaster Tyler Dunn, Bengals quarterback Jake Browning, and my broadcast partner Dave Lapham. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since seeing live music. As you can probably tell from my brief singing appearances at the start of this podcast, I like a wide variety of music. And one of the things I missed most during the pandemic was seeing concerts. I caught Elvis Costello this week and plan to see Lake Street Dive next week. So if the title of an upcoming episode is Pump It Up or Call Off Your Dogs, you'll know why. Now, let's get to my first guest. If you love great feature stories about NFL players and coaches, there's nobody out there doing better ones than Tyler Dunn. He's written for newspapers and Bleacher Report in the past, but now he has his own website, golongtd.com. There's plenty of free content there, including a story this week about one of the Bengals' starting cornerbacks. Tyler, you posted a great profile on Eli Apple on Monday morning. The title was Eli Apple Sends Peace and Love to His Haters. Did you come to Cincinnati specifically intending to write about him, or did that just kind of happen when you got here? Good question, because it just kind of happened, honestly. Um, great access. I got to start there, the Cincinnati Bengals. They, they're they great to us media folk versus a lot of other teams out there. So to have those two opportunities to get some players in the same day, I uh, just saw Eli in the locker room uh, earlier in the day and figured, hey, we should catch up because I talked to him ahead of the Super Bowl. You know, after that Kansas City game, when he was riding high, baby, you know, he took it to the Chiefs. He let Tyreek Hill know um, that was like prime peak Eli Apple figured, you know what? A lot has happened since we talked. So let's touch base and, you know, kind of, kind of a mental check. You know, we, we all kind of saw the world come crashing down on Eli Apple. So wanted to see how he was doing and he's doing great. He's doing great. He certainly does not back away from as you put it in the title, the haters. I mean, he seems to embrace being this Twitter villain uh, that other NFL players have no hesitation in calling out. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, you've, you've covered this game longer than me. And, you know, granted, t- Twitter's only been around since, what, 09, 2010. But I've never seen players collectively rag on a guy like this. It's, it, it's not like he had these unspeakable mistakes or gaffes or these – he didn't really do anything different than what we've seen from any player ever in big games. Um, but for whatever reason, like, I, you know, he, Mike Hilton said it best. I mean, he does run his mouth. He likes to talk. It's part of the reason they love him. You know, he's kind of that, that soundtrack for the secondary where they've got a lot of gnarly dudes that want to kick your butt and let you know, you know, outcasts, guys that other teams gave up on. They play with an edge. I, I love it. I mean, I think the secondary – is more equipped uh, to face these quarterbacks in the AFC than anybody. Um, but he, he is, he, he, when you talk, right. When you talk and things don't go well, 
players are ready to pounce and by God, did they pounce? It was <laughs> gosh, what a lot of players who were sitting at home on their couch for the Super Bowl. we should add. Right. I mean, Tyreek Hill, McCall Hardman, Lamar Jackson, Rashad Bateman across the board um, guys enjoying the game from the comfy confines of home. Um, not in the game. You know, we can make, we can make that clear had, had their fun, but I think Eli Apple took it in stride. Uh, you know, he posted a message on Instagram shortly after that game, just saying he'll be back. And then when we caught up, Dan, it was just, you know what? Everybody's going through problems. Everybody has things going on in their life. Peace and love. I'm in a good place. And he really did say, like, he turned that corner just out of that game. I thought it would have been earlier, you know, maybe when the Giants gave up on him or the Saints or he's bouncing around. But he said he really kind of rode that roller coaster up until that Rams Super Bowl game. So he, I take him at his word. I think he's in a really good place uh, mentally into this 2022 season. Tyler Dunn is our guest. He's a writer and podcaster. You can find him at golongtd.com. I want to get to some more of your training camp observations in just a bit, but I also want to first uh, look back at some of the other profiles that you've written about Bengals players in recent months. You wrote a great Joe Burrow story in January before the playoff run. The title was Joe Burrow is the most dangerous man in football. It was terrific. From all of the people that you talked to in writing that story, what stood out most to you about Joe? The game was never too fast for him. And you really appreciate that when you watch other training camps and other quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks where, I mean, we all saw it on Sundays last year, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. I mean, players who dominated college football, Heisman Trophy, playoff games, they made it look easy. I mean, Lawrence was unbelievable at Clemson. Fields was unbelievable at Ohio State. Remember him getting socked in the jaw, gets up, throws a touchdown, and then the pros come. And everything's too fast. Everything. I mean, we can, you know, blame Urban Meyer all we want. He was a disaster. I get it. But <laughs> Lawrence deserves some blame, too. It, it just seems like they're all kind of skittish to some degree. And rightfully so. It's a different speed. And I saw it at Steelers training camp, you know, before, you know, seeing you guys there at Cincy with Kenny Pickett, where, I mean, he's got the red jersey on. You're not going to get hit. But there is that hesitation. And, I, and I'm not poking fun at Kenny Pickett. I think all young quarterbacks are pretty much like that in the NFL. But Joe Burrow never was. And he probably had the most poor sieve of an offensive line of any of these guys as a rookie. He's getting snot beat out of him. But he he never seemed hesitant. I mean, you're watching this guy way more than me. But when you have that kind of vantage point of comparing other guys, it's stunning. Mm -hmm. Um, Kurt Warner first kind of opened my eyes to it where he noted early on in Joe Burrow's pro career, like this guy is going through his progressions, one to two to three to four. And he takes his layup, layups. He's not relying on his athleticism. He has it. He can move, but he's not bailing out of plays. And that's what it takes to win a Super Bowl, to get to a Super Bowl, where you everything tightens in the playoffs. You know, the windows get smaller. There's pressure in your face. You know, everything, everybody knows everything about you. You're going to win with your head a lot more than you're going to win with athleticism. And I think that's why Joe Burrow in year two gets to Super Bowl, where a lot of these other quarterbacks are insanely athletic. They can't. Um, they can't. I mean, I, and I love Lamar Jackson. He's incredible. But I think Burrow is more dangerous than Lamar Jackson because he can win with his brain. And that's what it takes in January. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, he's the most dangerous. man. I, it's not a surprise, right? He, his dad was a college football coach. He's been around this since he was a little kid, studying film since he was little. So he was always ahead of the game. It starts way back as far as you can remember. 
That's great insight about Joe Burrow. And the thing that I always say about these young quarterbacks, if I'm watching an NFL game on TV and they have the sky cam over the field, right? And they line that cam up behind the offensive line. So you're kind of seeing the play from above the offense. So almost like the way the quarterback would see it, but higher and behind them. Any completed pass that's not a screen is a miracle to me because you've got these 300-pound behemoths in their face. The defense is shifting all over the place. They're world-class athletes. The receivers you're trying to hit are moving at an incredible rate. How do these quarterbacks do it? I mean, it really is a remarkable skill to be able to complete passes that aren't screens in an NFL game. That's so perfectly put, man. Like it is. People don't realize they're watching at home because it just seems so stagnant. But pre-snap, I mean, everything is disguised. Defenses are, are really preserving their plans and their intentions until the absolute last split second before the ball is snapped. And like you said, they're all running four threes. They're all 250 pounds. All take your heads off. And to have a quarterback in the middle of that mayhem who can dissect this all and process it all so incredibly fast is rare. I mean, you don't see this. And I, I think that's why we're going to see him playing for Super Bowls for a really long time, because that, that's something that's only going to get better. I mean, the fact that he can process things that quickly this soon, um, I, I can't think of a comparison. I mean, Peyton Manning did. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had the benefit of sitting for a few years. Tom Brady even sat for a year. I, I can't think of many quarterbacks who were able to think the game this fast this soon. Tyler Dunn is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Ty Dunn. That is D-U-N-N-E. I want to reference one more story that you've written about a Bengals player in the last year, and that was your story about Tyler Boyd. Tremendous story, a great look at uh, his impoverished hometown, Clareton, PA, what it was like for him to grow up there. But uh, there was one thing about that story, not specifically about Tyler, uh, about Tyler Boyd that stood out to me, and that is this is November 5th of last year. The Bengals have played eight games. They're five and three. You write at the top of that story, believe it or not, the Bengals are ready to contend. What did you see eight (laughs) games in that maybe the rest of the NFL world did not? Well, if you say that stuff enough, you're going to be right once in a while, right? That's all. (laughs) I can't even play Nostradamus. No, I mean, I think that the fact that this offense had, you could tell they've had three stud receivers with a Joe Burrow and, and really with a, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit, a, a defense that has an edge to it. And yeah, it just seemed like a confident, blissful, blissfully ignorant team, which is a great team to be right. We, when you don't know what you don't know, and you're just out there playing and talking trash and, you know, you've never been here before. I think there's a value to that. You're not overthinking it. There's really no pressure. Um, gosh, you know, and that, th- I think this would have happened probably after the story ran, you know, better than me, but you know, what play really sold me on the Bengals was the, a game. They actually lost right against San Francisco. And I think the quarterback coach uh, pitcher was telling me about this. And he probably told you about, about it too. Joe Burrow is scrambling, right? And Jamar Chase is kind of in the scramble Joe with him. And Jamar Chase is running one direction. Correct. And Burrow throws it the other direction to the corner just knowing that he's going to cut and hit that pylon, which you, you don't see veterans make a play like that. It, it, it was diabolical almost for him to 
throw the ball as Jamar Chase is running the other direction. I was really sold after that play, right? After that description from a quarterback's coach who's going to be a head coach somewhere very, very soon. It's like, yeah, they've got something special cooking here. That was a ridiculous play. Fourth down as well. So it's do or die. You're scrambling. You're in trouble. Chase is running in the opposite direction on the back line of the end zone. You throw it, hoping that he'll pivot, see the ball, and run it down and burrow through it with perfect timing, perfect touch. And Chase is so damn good that that he made the play. That really was uh, a memorable moment. What was it like from your vantage point, like when you're seeing that up above? Yeah, it was insane. I mean, obviously we're doing the the live play by play, so your follow your eyes are following the ball as the play by play announcer. So I'm following Burrow. It's really only after the fact when I go back and and talk to people and look at the replay that I see that yeah. Jamar Chase is running in the opposite direction. His head is not turned. He just sensed that he would spin around at that moment and be able to find the ball, stay in bounds, and make the catch. It was a ridiculous play. It's a play you only see, like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams with a decade of reps, you know, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison. It, it, it's that kind of stuff out of a first-year player and a second-year player. So, you know, if you can pay those two guys, I don't care what else happens on that <laughs> roster. They'll, they'll be okay. They'll compete. Trust me, they will. I don't think there's any doubt they will pay those two guys. <laughs> Tyler Dunn is our guest. Your specialty is the in-depth profile. What we used to get in the back of Sports Illustrated on a weekly basis from guys like Frank DeFord or Gary Smith, those stories aren't out there much anymore. How do you pick your stories and build the relationships with players and coaches that allow you to tell them? Man, I really appreciate that because that's definitely the goal, right? I just think it's getting squeezed out of sports media coverage. It's a lot of you know, fast food, quick stuff today, memes and gifs and tweets and takes and trying to zag away from the zigging. Um, I think it's just relationships. It's, it's not any different than life. Um, in any, any walk of life, it's just getting to know people across, you know, di- I guess different lanes where I know a lot of agents, I know a lot of players, I know a lot of teams and you just kind of scouts coaches and you add it all up and you just try to learn as much as you can and at some point a light bulb might go off and it's like, okay, this is a story. This is something worth kind of digging into a little bit, whether it's, you know, a behind the scenes kind of story. And we've done those, you know, on the New York giants, which might show an ugly side of a team that wasn't very pretty as things were kind of going South for them toward the end of last season. And they're about to fire everybody or, you know, the stuff we're talking about player profiles and kind of humanizing the game. So it's uh you know, it's just getting to know people and just being curious. I always think like, what are people talking about at the bar? Like if you're at the bar with your buddies, just having a couple IPAs, like what, what would just get you, what would get you talking? It's probably not, you know, you might talk about your fantasy teams and you know, the fact that your running back needs 77 yards to win your game that night, but I'm not really interested in that stuff. It's like, it's those holy, you know, what moments I've never heard that before. Right. Like this, yeah. that, that is bizarre. That's crazy. And I want to know more. And I guess to tease for your listeners, I had one of those moments on this trip with another Cincinnati Bengals player. So we'll have that story later this month, but, uh, and it does take, you know, just great PR departments at times too. And I got to give a a lot of love to the Bengals there where they're incredibly helpful. They just get it. They, They want good storytelling. And that's not always the case as well. 
I can see why players would open up to you because your respect for them is obvious in, in what you write, you know, respect for the toughness and commitment it takes to play professional football. Man, th- thanks a lot. It's uh, I mean, it, we, I think a lot of us all played back in the day to, to some degree and it just is a different, it's just a different game mm-hmm. and it just takes, God, it takes a different level of violence. Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to think back, you know, Chris Borland obviously stepped away from football really young and it kind of shook the football world. It was my first story at Bleach Report when I was there. And he, even Chris Borland, I loved how he put it. He said, football is just different. It's like a drug because if you're a linebacker out there, as he was for Wisconsin and San Francisco, you know, if I, if I botch my assignment, if I do something wrong, the player next to me might get beelined and be down for the count with a concussion or something, right? Like that takes a different level of togetherness and teamwork and, and intelligence in the moment that, Hey, I love basketball, hockey. There's a lot of good to other sports, but football is just different with the angles that these guys are hitting each other. So yeah, I mean, if, if these players are out there, Hey, they, I, I make no bones about it. I'm a pretty pro player guy. I go long. I think these are the ones out there risking their bodies, risking their brains, and they, a lot of them come from places like Tyler Boyd, where it's how in the hell did you get out of that place? And football can be such a beacon of hope for them and their families. Uh, yeah, I just can't get enough of it. And I'm glad that readers enjoy what we're putting out. All right, let's get to your training camp visit. So after you're in the locker room talking to Eli Apple and others, you attended practice on a day where the Bengals defense dominated. It was an ugly day for the offense. It's been the only one this camp that looked like that, thankfully. Uh, And obviously Joe Burrow is not taking part in practice yet, but what did you come away thinking about the defending AFC champs after attending that practice? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to really rip the offense, right? I mean, if any team loses their quarterback for an extended period of time and they're reliant on the quarterback, they're probably toast. It covered some Packer teams where it was like that. Aaron Rodgers goes down and you're cycling through Scott Tolzien and Matt Flynn and you're barely getting by. So yeah, they, they want Joe Burrow out there. So that's, you know, priority number one. And it's, it's going to be hell for any team that loses a talent like that. But I think you can take a lot from that defense. And I feel like we're not talking about it enough. Rightfully so. We, we've kind of obsessed nationally from a standpoint of Tyree Kill to the Dolphins, Russell Wilson to Denver, Devontae Adams to Vegas, you know, all these teams loaded up a pass rusher to get after these quarterbacks. And, oh, by the way, the Bills are Super Bowl favorites and the Chiefs are kind of remaking their offense. And this Bengals secondary made Patrick Mahomes look like a bum. I mean, that second half, he had a 12 quarterback rating. I mean, he, he struggled to complete a pass. There was pressure in his face. The coverage was tight. Um, all those Bengals DBs were, were picking up on their routes. They knew it was coming. And we'll see what happens with Jesse Bates. That, that's a big one. You want him out there. But even in the draft, the Bengals covered their bases a little bit, anticipated him potentially missing some time. I think you want him out there, but with or without Bates, this is a secondary to me that is more equipped to at least get by and contain these explosive offenses. Hey, I live here in Buffalo. This, this Bills team is a lot of fun. They're going to put up a lot of points. They couldn't stop a nosebleed at Arrowhead. I mean, it was, I love that game as much as everybody else, but if you love defense, it was kind of ugly. There wasn't much defense being played, right? I mean, the the Bengals will play a little defense and up until that last drive in the Super Bowl, they were doing enough to win. And 
then that last drive happened. We can't just skim past that. There's no look passes and Cooper Cup doing things. <laughs> but I think in today's NFL with every rule against you and the flags getting thrown all over the place and the league trying to get into your brain and make you be a hesitant player out there, whether you're a pass rusher, or a linebacker, or DB, since he's kind of threaded that needle, they, they, they figured out how to be aggressive on the back end and make the necessary plays they have to make. I think those turnovers weren't fluky toward the end of the season. I think that can stick. You've been on an NFL training camp tour. So when you come through Cincinnati and you see Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Hurst, Mixon, and others, is that the best skill position talent you've seen on one team? It's right there with Buffalo. You know, I think that you'd probably say Cincinnati even has the edge. And I know it sounds like I'm pandering here on your show, right? (laughs) I promise I'll say the same thing on WGR here in Buffalo. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Hey, in all honesty, I think Joe Mixon is better than any of the Bills running backs. They've got good depth there, good variety of players. But I think Joe Mixon is the separator. That's me on my podcast. He he is. I mean, he he is – a top five running back, at least really he's right there. So, and then when you look at the weapons, I mean, Jamar chase digs, that's a toss up. You you can make a case for either one. Gabe Davis could do some big things for Buffalo, but you've seen it a little bit more out of T Higgins. And then in the slot, I do a show with Isaiah McKenzie at go along and he's going to replace Cole Beasley. Hey, love Isaiah McKenzie. He's, to no fault of his own, he just hasn't been used that much. That's on the coaching staff, not him. But we've seen it out of Tyler Boyd. I mean, he he just has a lot more production. So I think you'd say Cincinnati would have more firepower. Dawson Knox is more proven, has a longer track True. record than Hayden Hurst. But Hayden Hurst has had a tremendous camp and was a first-round pick for a reason. So it is quite a group. No doubt. That would pr- probably be the one slight bill's edge there. You're right. All right, so for folks who are not familiar with Go Long, tell them what your website is all about and how they can find it and subscribe. Beautiful. Yep, golongtd.com. Um, you can just sign up. You know, you, you can pay a, for a full subscription if you'd like. It's, um, got to think of my charges, right? $8 a month, 50 a year, but also there's free options. So I encourage everybody, you know, you, you don't have to pay a dime. Just plug in your email, hop on that free list. You'll still get a ton of stories. And if you like it, and you want to get everything you can upgrade at any time to a full subscription. And I just had this idea here because I really love this talk and I love Bengals fans. They're a lot of fun. If anybody does subscribe out there, just hit me up on Twitter, shoot me an email, reach out, however, and we'll, we'll send you a go long shirt. So I got a few of those. I still got a, I just saw it downstairs. We got a whole box of shirts. So um, I want to try to build up a little bit of a Bengals following because it's just a fun as hell team. And it's a cool logo. It'll be a good shirt. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, my buddy um is a, is an artist here in Western New York, and uh, he does all my artwork, and he, he's incredible. But but yeah, to even answer your question, I guess uh, a lot of long form journalism, features, profiles, Q and A's, uh, podcasts. Just really try to kind of go beyond just the the clicky stuff on social media, and and sit down and really get to know these players. So. I'm just, you know, I'm incredibly thankful that the, these guys are willing to, to sit down and then talk about their lives and dig a little deeper because it, it definitely takes two to tango. 
Well, Bengals fans can find the Eli Apple story. They can find the Joe Burrow, most dangerous man in football. You wrote about Tyler Boyd, as I mentioned, last November. I think there was a Mike Hilton profile before the Super Bowl. So there's a ton of great Bengals stuff there right now. Again, go long TD.com. Tyler Dunn has been my guest. Again, you can follow him at Twitter and get those shirts. Ty Dunn, <laughs> at Ty Dunn, T-Y-D-U-N-N-E. We look forward to whatever that thing is. You're going to write about the Bengals. Another great Bengals story coming in the next month. And, uh, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Loved it. We should do it again. And hey, you're always welcome on our podcast. We'll do a little home and home. Now let's transition to Friday's preseason opener against the Arizona Cardinals. Joe Burrow obviously won't play, and that probably would have been the case even if he hadn't had appendicitis. So the Bengals' starting quarterback will be Joe's backup for the past two years, Brandon Allen. We've seen him quite a bit. Brandon started six games for the Bengals over the last two seasons, but we haven't seen the next quarterback who will get into the game, Jake Browning. Jake is a former University of Washington star who once finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy vote. After spending two years on the Minnesota Vikings practice squad, he was cut after the preseason last year and joined the Bengals practice squad. His NFL playing experience consists of five preseason games over the course of three years. Jake, you joined the team after the preseason last year. How eager are you to play in a game again, and how important are preseason games for somebody in your role? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I've been on P-squads. Uh, for a couple of years now, and uh, you know, haven't, haven't played a ton in the preseason. Didn't play a ton my rookie year. Didn't have it my COVID year. Then played a little bit last year. So, I mean, I think anytime you put as much time into something as I have, you just want to play and be able to put it on tape and and uh, let all the hard work hopefully show in the game and in a setting that you know everybody can see. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to play in this offense. You know, I was able to watch uh, Joe all of last year and watch Brandon. And, uh, you know, kind of learn from them and, and see how explosive this offense can be. And so uh, I'm excited to, to be able to actually line up and put some pads on and actually play real football in this offense. So I'm excited. As you noted, you did get some time with the Vikings in the preseason last year. Did you have a preseason highlight? Was there a moment that was, uh, you know, particularly enjoyable for you? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I did get cut, so I didn't go like uh, – probably as good as I would have hoped so you know I think anytime you have a preseason where you kind of wish you would have played a little bit better or kind of saw some things and, and learned some different things uh you're kind of chomping at the bit to, to get back out there and, and give it another swing so that's kind of where I'm at but uh no I didn't really have like a, a highlight per se or anything like that it was more uh definitely learned some some harder lessons and, and hopefully learn from those and and uh you know do better this this training camp in this preseason Jake Browning's our guest. Quarterback Joe Burrow couldn't practice early in camp after his appendectomy. That's meant a lot of reps for you. How has that helped you? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't taken, didn't take any reps in the offense, you know, last year, obviously because we're in the season. But uh, yeah, it's helped a lot. Be able to uh, get some reps in practice, work through some different things uh, on different plays, and hopefully that shows in the preseason. You were on the practice squad last year, so you were in the meeting rooms with Burrow. You obviously watched the teams run to the Super Bowl. What stood out about Joe? I mean, I think he uh, you know, obviously prepares and does all those things, but I think a lot of quarterbacks do that. Uh, I think he's got pretty unshakable confidence, and uh, I think that showed some of those big moments. Um, you know, He's not afraid to put the ball up there and let Jamar make a play or let T make a play, and 
you know, I, I think they always say, like, play within the moment, stay in the moment. And I think he does a pretty good job of that and uh, plays confident. I'm sure people listening to this remember you from your time at Washington as the four-year starting quarterback, but I want to turn the clock back before that to your days in Folsom, California, where one of your offensive linemen was Jonah Williams. Pretty remarkable coincidence. Did Jonah help you uh, adjust and get comfortable here in Cincinnati? Yeah, I I had a tryout here. I think if I remember correctly, it was on a Tuesday. So I get in Monday and it was, you know, went to dinner with him. So it was kind of nice to see a familiar face, uh, you know, the first time I got here. Uh, so, yeah, anytime you got some high school teammates, there's a couple of us playing in the NFL now uh, that were on that team, and, and you know, Jonah definitely helped me a lot in high school, helped us throw the ball a ton. So that, that was pretty nice when he showed up. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I think anytime you walk into a locker room and you're brand new, uh, you know, to see some familiar faces, I know him from high school. I know Drew Sample from college. So just, just to know a couple of people so you're not just completely the brand new person is always kind of nice, a little familiarity. California's a big state. You set most of the career passing records there, 91 touchdown passes your final year of high school. Did you guys ever run? Did you have running plays? Uh, Yeah, I think we pretty much threw the first half, and the second half we'd run the whole time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, I had Jonah as my left tackle, so that helped a lot. Had a really good uh, coaching staff with Troy Taylor and Chris Richardson, who are uh, now at Sac State, Bobby Fresca's. And, uh, you know, I think – I think I was at the right place at the right time. I obviously had some ability, but I think anytime you're putting up some numbers like that, there's a lot going on around you that's that's pretty nice to have. So left tackle, a couple of really good receivers, really good defense, really good O-line, and uh, in a good system. So, yeah, fond memories, but, uh, you know, hoping to, hoping to have a good preseason, and, and those, are, those are kind of in the past. But cool things probably when I'm done playing. We look forward to seeing you against the Cardinals. Best of luck in the game throughout the preseason. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's quarterback Jake Browning. After Brandon Allen and Jake Browning play, we could also see former Loveland High School and Ball State quarterback Drew Plitt, who joined the team at the start of training camp following Joe Burrow's appendectomy. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now, time for my weekly training camp update with Dave Lapham. Lap, there was a practice this week where the defense dominated, the offense struggled, and the offensive line in particular struggled. Did you have days like that? Does it happen to everybody aside from Anthony Munoz at some point? <laughs> yeah, it, it does. I mean, uh, I, I do think, um, you know, even Anthony, as great as he was, he'll tell you there are guys, you know, he'll probably say Bruce Smith, you know, was a guy that he had to he had to bring his best against. And there's always somebody or something that occurs where you don't have as good a day as you had hoped or anticipated and, uh, individually or collectively, and most important, collectively, um, and that that was the key. That was the the key factor. Like you said, there were, you know, too many guys didn't have a very good day. Uh, and when you combine all that together, uh, it's like we talked about before. It's like making that fist. And when those five components aren't acting, you know, like an automatic reflex and working with each other, it can be a it can be a tough day. And then what you do is you, you know, go back to your techniques, go back to ground zero, and uh, and start over again. And put together a, a rebound day, which is what they tried to do. And I thought they were a lot better the following day. 
Should we even really be evaluating these guys that closely until they get the five that are going to play uh, together for the first time? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a, a valid point. <laughs> There's there no no two ways about it. And when you uh, you know you've got now now not only do you not have guys like AC, uh, but, but now Smith is down. I mean now you've got Hakeem Adeniji going out and playing some tackle, showing the versatility, position versatility, you know, that he has. And you've got, you know, you get guys, just like with any injury, uh, the, the trickle-down effect has uh, Devin Cochran taken snaps that he may not have anticipated he was going to be taken at the beginning of training camp. But these are opportunities. I mean, that's why you have training camp. That's why you bring in the number of players you bring in. And, and when you bring a guy in, you know, you hope you did a good enough job scouting him and, and evaluating his talents that he belongs. And really... I'd say for the for the most part, there's you know almost 90 guys in camp here, and I'd say a very very high number do belong. There's no two ways about it. But um, the rubber meets the road, like you said, when everybody is up playing together against another opponent. You know, somebody uh, that doesn't wear the same jersey that you're wearing. Because the offensive line has struggled in recent years, we tend to evaluate a day like that as bad for the offense as opposed to, whoa, great for the defense. Trey Hendrickson is going to give a lot of people headaches like he did a few days ago. No question. I mean, he is an elite pass rusher. Um, He's got boundless energy. Uh, He's got endurance. He's got intelligence. Um, It was a couple of one-on-ones where I was watching with him, it's it's like, all right, who's going to be more patient than the other? Who's going to wait before they commit their hands? Uh, and and the tackle is doing a pretty darn good job of, of being patient, waiting, waiting. And then Trey made that initial move that you thought, okay, well, here it is. So then he commits and brings the hand to, to counter it, and Trey just is athletic enough to pull it back and give a counter move, and it's like, son of a gun, man. This guy's good. He's smart. He's athletic. He's got primary moves. He's got secondary moves. Oof. He's a he's a, a load. You know, and they end, end up chipping him already a couple of times here in practice, you know. And uh, then on the other side of things, Sam Hubbard uh, is taking advantage of that. So the H-Boys are doing a, a bang-up job. There's no question. They're, they're, they're really good on the edge. And they've got other guys that are showing themselves a little bit too. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see once – uh, preseason game start. I don't think we're going to see Hendrickson and Hubbard. If we see him at all, it's going to be very, very little. So the battle to who's going to make up the back end of that roster from the edge rush standpoint is going to be very, very interesting to watch. We're talking after Sunday's practice. Former Bengals defensive coordinator and Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer was in attendance today. You happened to be nearby when Mike Zimmer got Sam Hubbard's attention to tell him how much he enjoys watching him play. Yeah, and and Sam was you know, kind of swelled him up a little bit. Sam was very appreciative, and uh, Zim doesn't throw those kind of compliments out, those big bouquet compliments very, very readily. You know, I mean, he's he's a, he's a guy that uh, he's a man's man, and he's a great football coach in every sense of the word, um, but he does appreciate guys like Hendrickson and Hubbard. He said, man, those, those two guys off the edge now, they give you everything. They've got every snap, don't they? I'm like, absolutely, coach. And I remember talking to Mike Zimmer about this, Many, many times when he was defensive coordinator for the Bengals, and said, you know, the, the good defenses you've had over the years, what's the common denominator? He said, corners, edge rushers. When you have corners and edge rushers, particularly in today's NFL, but he said any era of NFL that I was coaching in, 
that was big. But in today's era of the NFL, if you have corners and edge rush guys, you get yourself ingredients to have a heck of a defense. And I think the Bengals are, are pretty good in that regard. Joe Burrow watch continues. Today he apparently picked up a football, right. and people noticed it, so that was, uh, you know, jokingly big news. But in all seriousness, he stood and watched practice for much of the day today instead of watching it from the back of a cart. I don't want to pretend that this is walking on water, but it's another sign that he is gradually moving toward being able to practice again. Well, I know that uh, standing and watching practice is a lot harder than sitting in a car watching Mm -hmm. practice. We can attest to that Mm -hmm. when you're on your feet for two plus whatever it is, hours. So I I think he is advancing. I I do think that there's there's no question about it. And, And when he was walking, it wasn't as gingerly. You know, he had his normal gait back to him. So it tells me that everything's healing and that pulling that you feel, you know, sometimes during that healing process, I think is subsiding. So that, that, those are all good signs, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when we're going to see him back taking team snaps and that kind of thing. We may see him throwing a football and, and doing other things and, and gradually ramping up as such, but in terms of getting in the huddle, calling a play, going to the line of scrimmage with his teammates and executing and checking off and audibling and all the things uh, that you have to do and to mentally execute it and then to be able to physically execute it, I wonder I wonder when that's going to be. And at this point, there's no panic, no rush. So I, I let, let him just advance and progress at the, at the rate that he's doing. I'm fine with that. At training camp, we always look closely at the rookies, see who looks like he might be able to contribute right off the bat. Dax Hill clearly will be able to contribute from day one. I think of the rest of the class, the two pass rushers have stood out the most to me, Zach Carter and Jeffrey Gunter. I agree. I think uh, I think Zach Carter is going to make make a little bit of noise inside. I mean, he, he seems to have that, uh, that natural feel. Um, it's just it, – it's funny. Some guys just – have have a natural instinct uh, to counter almost they they predict the move is going to happen almost before it happens and counter it so quickly and he's he's got that that kind of ability uh, now it hasn't been starting linemen but I've seen him in matchups with guys that are trying to win backup positions where they don't lay a glove on him I mean he's he's got the edge now uh, making him miss totally so he has an explosive first step. Uh, there's, there's, he's got get off, as they say. There's no question about it. And he's a big body guy too. I mean, he's, you know, pushing 300 pounds. He, he'll be able to, to, uh, you know, stop the run in the three technique as well as put pressure on the quarterback. But when you have a size quickness combination like that, man, you, he can be a disruptive force. You can have him inverting the line of scrimmage in the running game and the passing game, like Ogan Joby did for him. So at practice today, Drew Sample is out there with a pretty heavy leg brace on after hurting his knee. It doesn't sound like anything too serious. He could be back within a couple of weeks. But it does exacerbate uh, a position group where you've got a clear-cut number one receiving target in Hayden Hurst. When healthy, you've got a clear-cut good blocker in Drew Sample. And then a lot of other guys that are battling for the third spot, practice squad spots that's a, a pretty unsettled position group after those first two yeah it really is and, and fortunately drew sample you know it doesn't sound like his foot was on the ground planted and he got hit 
and it caved in that way. That, that would have been some extensive damage. Going over a pile, maybe it was off the ground, and then you get kind of a whiplash effect, you know, if somebody hits your leg. And you still have a strain of a uh, ligament, but not if it was planted and, and, and smashed, and, and now you've got a real problem. So he kind of dodged a bullet, I think, a little bit there. But in his absence, if it's a couple of weeks, you know, you've got a, other guys that are trying to, you know, jockey for, for position. Um, I think Wilcox is a guy that probably is, is the front runner, you know, to move up and to get more snaps, um, you know, after Hayden Hurst, particularly in this, in this first football game. You're going to see tight ends that uh, I'm not sure how much you're going to see Hayden Hurst. You're, you're going to see the battle of the tight end starts to rage. And, you know, we're going to be looking at guys like uh, Wilcox, Eubanks, uh, Rig, guys that aren't household names, you know, for Thaddeus for, Moss. Thaddeus Moss. Uh, so it, it's, going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, who, who steps up. Scotty Washington is another one that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, is, is a, a former wide receiver that's bulking up, showing them, trying to play the tight end position. So you, you've got a real – that's going to be a very, very interesting battle that goes on in that that Arizona Cardinal preseason game is like their Super Bowl. I mean, they're fighting for their professional lives. So, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, those games, they don't mean anything. It means a hell of a lot to these guys. I mean, they're they're jockeying for position in a very significant way and because they know that it's not just these guys. It's the other teams around the National Football League may be letting go of their number three tight end potentially or their number four tight end who may have more NFL experience than these guys do, so they need to show that you know they can fit this system and do well within it because there are going to be other guys out there on the waiver wire during the course of training camp that muddy the waters competitively, competitively for these guys as well. As well, I don't know <clears throat> if any of the undrafted wide receivers will make the 53-man roster. They're pretty set at wide receiver, but those guys are battling for practice squad spots. Certainly there's going to be a one or two of those guys on the practice squad. Kwame Lassiter, number 18, makes several catches every day, it seems. He also looked good in the OTAs. Kendrick Pryor, number 19, didn't stand out to me at all in the OTAs. But in the last several practices, it seems like he's been coming on. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought Lassiter, Lassiter kind of caught my eye even in an OTAs. You, you just see a guy with his, uh, his body mechanics and the way he runs and the way he runs routes and sinks his hips and gets in and out of those cuts and gets in and out of them sharply and doesn't round them and things of that nature. And it's like, oh, geez, you know, that, that guy that, that guy is a, is a very precise uh, and, and very poised route runner. So, you know, you wanted to see him when the pads came on, and he's, he's still responding, responding pretty well. And that, that's another group that has, you know, Trent Taylor is somebody that, uh, you know, people are trying to unseat, but they, they know what he can do. The coaches have a handle on what Trent Taylor can do, not only as a as a receiver and, and block people and, and catch the football, but as a punt returner, and and that's where the the job is going to be, I think, won and lost. Uh, who, who's going to show themselves as a good return guy? Kwame Lasseter has that that ability as well. But you're right. I mean, Pryor has stepped up and, and and made plays. He's he's shown himself. I think Stanley Morgan is a lock, you know, to be on the roster. Uh, Sorensen has, has got a, you know, he's a dark, dark horse. Um, but the thing is, what, what, what happens is in, in training camp, you've shown, you've long, then all of a sudden in a preceding game, somebody steps up and makes a play or two. And it's like, wow, boy, when the light goes on, 
uh, when the competition really starts. And Scott, let's see if it happens again. And then if you can string a couple or three together, three preseason games together, that's how guys come out of nowhere and make NFL rosters. So it, it, it has to start in the first preseason game, though. And, and really, the biggest thing is handling that pressure of, all right, I know I have to make a play, but I can't try to do too much because when I try to do too much, it's going to backfire and it'll probably end up the other team will make a big play because I'm trying too hard and I'm going to do something that's going to lead a defensive back to make a play against me. And uh, then all of a sudden the whole thing blows up in my face. So uh, th- those those battles are, are always very interesting uh, to watch as well. But, you know, Mike Thomas is a, is a guy that's a special team staple, um, you know, and then, and then the big three is very big and looms very large. They're not going anywhere. Eli Apple had a few days earlier this week where he didn't take part in any team periods because of a minor injury. He was back out there today with the first string. What do you think of the camp that Eli Apple is having? Extremely competitive, you know, and uh, and I think, you know, probably some of the time coaches and general managers and ownership are like, eh, don't take it too far, you know, don't take anybody to the ground or, uh, you know, let's, let's not have any have any injury, but he, he is stepping up to the challenge of, uh, you know, taking, taking on guys like Chase and, um, and matching up well, you know, and, and competing and everything's a contested, competitive uh, scenario. And um, I, I think that last year did wonders for that guy's confidence. I mean, he is, to me, he looks like not a different football player, but a much more confident football player. There's no question about that. I think he really feels like he's part of this thing. He feels like he was a big part of the success they had last year, and rightfully so, he should feel that way. So I think they got themselves a guy that, uh, you know, is, is going to be a cornerback like Mike Zimmer talks about that can be a factor and, and you know, allows the the edge rush to even get there. It's almost like the hand-fitting glove. The edge rush sometimes will hide a little, uh, you know, blemish that they have in the secondary or vice versa. The secondary is, is smothering all rights routes so much that the rush will have an extra half second to a second to get there, and they get there and they finish it. So uh, I think he may be part of that equation. We are five days away from our first preseason broadcast. Do you know the Arizona Cardinals' third string? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to on Friday. Oh, it is. It's going to be, you know, you know what's interesting? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to learn it because, like I said earlier, to these guys, this is huge. This is huge. And, uh, you know, I, I, always, I always enjoy good football competition. So it's not like it's going to be one team's number ones against another team's number threes, and it's like, eh, you know, this will be like a big boring yawner. Um, will it? Will it be? I hope it's a competitive contest. I hope there are. I love good football. I hope there are good football plays made. And you know, I'm going to respect the fact that these guys are out there fighting tooth and nail to survive for another week in an NFL training camp. And that's what it's all about. It's going to be to them. It is going to be like go time and show time. Yeah. The worst of those 180 players is a great football player. Just to be out there. Bingo. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys in the Canadian Football League, the XFL, the USFL, who wish they were in, in a training camp right now competing for an NFL roster. And, and that's the thing, like we talked about before, um, practice reps are all taped, you know, and it's good to have all that tape. But there's nothing like game tape, and, and these guys know that. So the more snaps they're out there, 
they know that the more opportunities they have to show that they belong in the professional realm of football somewhere. If it's not with Cincinnati or Arizona, is it with another NFL team? Is it with another pro league that may not be as the highest level that the NFL is, obviously? But these guys are fighting for their professional football lives, and it's going to be interesting to watch them fight and scratch. Friday's game starts at 7.30. Our pregame coverage on the Bengals radio network begins at 6 p.m. And by the time you get up on Saturday morning, there will be a new episode of this podcast waiting with radio replays and postgame analysis. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the upcoming season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. You can get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.